Never been asked about what kind of churches there were. I found that to be interesting. What about this? You're working for a company. person gets called in. Say, Mr. Jones, we want to give you a, a promotion. We're going to move you to Carson City, Nevada. We're going to make you the manager of the widget plant there. We're going to double your salary. We're going to buy your home for 10% above market value. And we're going to give you a, a subvented mortgage to buy you a bigger home there. And uh, we're going to give you a company vehicle. How does that sound to you? That's right. But, 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 that, but you're right. Thank you. That's a good answer. When do I leave? Not one time. Does, how often does that person say, you know what, uh, sir, that sounds great. I'm going to have to go there and visit and see if there's a good church there that I can get my family in. You never hear that, do you? What about this? You got a little, say you got a little boy, 11-year-old, and he has made the all-star basket weaving team. Now, I say basket weaving because <laughs> nobody's basket weaving here, so I can't offend anybody with that. He's made the all-star basket weaving team. He's going to be playing travel team basket weaving, right? And you know where I'm going, right? But the problem is he's going to have to miss school on Friday for eight weeks straight. How many of you think that's happening? Not a chance. Johnny can't miss school? He can't miss school for basket weaving? What if it were on Sunday? Oh, that's no problem. It's just church. Because what we've done is we've reduced God. Just like they did in the Romans right here that Paul was talking about. What did Paul say there? He said, because that when they knew God, now keep in mind here, he's talking about before this society went completely off the rails. He said before, when they knew God, what did he say they did? He said, they glorified him not as God. What do we do? We place community involvement above God. What do we do? We place, we place careers above God. What do we do? We place little Johnny's basket weaving league above God. We've reduced God. We've minimized him. What's the next thing that happens? Well, it goes on later in that verse and it says, And became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of God and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Let's go back in history. You guys help me with this. It's 1945. Lady gets up, gets ready. She's going to town. I remember I was a little kid one time. We lived in Little Rock, Arkansas. We lived right in the middle of, you know. My granny was visiting from Athens, Alabama. We were getting ready that morning. She said, she said, boys, talking to me and my brother, she said, y'all going to town with your mom? We didn't know what that meant. We said, Granny, we live in town. She said, I'll be where the stores are. I said, well, Granny, they're just right outside the door up there. You know, we live in town. But not, back to 1945. Lady's getting ready. She's going to go to town. She's going shopping. She's going to Woolworths or whatever they had in 1945. She takes little Junior with her. Junior goes to the store, and he asks his mom, he says, Mom, can I get this little Hot Wheel? She says, no, let's don't get that. Junior bows up and throws a fit in Woolworths. It's 1945. 
Somebody tell me what happens to Junior. What? He gets the tar beat out of him, doesn't he? Okay. That was 1945. In 1946, a child psychologist by the name of Benjamin Spock publishes the book Baby and Child Care. And what does Mr. Spock tell us? Oh, you can't spank little Junior. You'll damage his psyche. And what did we do? We elevated man's imaginations, his reasoning, his views above what Proverbs told us about raising children. So you see what we've done here? What happened in society? We've reduced God and we've elevated man. So what happens now? Man's just as important as God is in society. And that's the humanistic society that we currently live in. It doesn't happen overnight. It just slips up on you. It just eases up on you. The moral fabric of the society that we live in today is completely bankrupt. In 1952, America came unglued when Mary Tyler Moore came on television in a pair of pants. Could we talk about some of the things that you... I can't watch primetime TV with my daughters in the room. Can't do it. So that's why we watch National Geographic and the Discovery Channel. And it gets edgy sometimes. It's Shark Week, though. We're safe. Okay? So, what happens when God is reduced and man is elevated? I'll tell you. In Romans... Chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Somebody beat me to the punch over here. You were ready. What happens? If you reduce God, you elevate man, why do we need to be thankful anymore? What has God done for us? I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. You can go to the self-help section in the local bookstore and get all the help you need. You see, we would rather listen to what Oprah's opinion is about something than our pastor. We elevate Dr. Phil above the words of our shepherd because we've reduced God, elevated man. And as a result, we're no longer thankful because we don't need God. So I ask you the question tonight, why be thankful? If you're in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, it's going to give us some reasons as to why we should be thankful. Verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to teach tonight. I pray that it be an encouragement. I pray that it be a blessing. And Lord, above all, thank you for all that you've done for us. Please help this to be an encouragement. Use this lesson in spite of the speaker. In Jesus' name, amen. The great story, one of the greatest stories in the Bible to me about redemption is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. The story about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a, uh, a descendant. He was, you remember Jonathan, Saul's son, David's best friend. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. So he was a grandson to the king. And the way the story goes, when they were losing the battle to the Philistines and things were getting bad, it was going little Mephibosheth had a nanny. And she, she thought that the 
throne was fixing to be overthrown, so she snatches him up and takes off running, and she falls, and he breaks his leg or his hip, or he, Mephibosheth becomes crippled, didn't heal back right. And as the story goes, David takes over the throne, and years later, Mephibosheth is exiled, living in a place called Lodabar. Well, David began to inquire about some of the descendants of Jonathan and Saul. He wanted to find out where these particular guys were. And he found out about where Mephibosheth was, and he made this statement. He said he wanted to find him so that thou shalt eat bread at my table. And I want to tell you tonight, the first reason that I believe we should be thankful is because of our position. That verse in Colossians says that to be partakers of the inheritance. You see, David brought Mephibosheth and put him at his table just like one of his children. You see what God has done for us? He's made us the same as one of his children. I don't know if you've ever heard the story about man has a son that gets murdered. He contemplates how he's going to handle this, and he thinks, well, I could hunt this guy down, and I could, I could kill him, and that would be vengeance. Or I could hunt him down, and I could catch him, and I could turn him over to the authorities so that he could face his trials. That would be justice. He said, I could hunt down my son's murderers and apprehend him, catch him, and turn him loose, and that would be mercy. He said, or I could hunt down my son's murderer. I could capture him. I could adopt him, make him my son, and give him all the things that my son would have had. That's exactly what God did for us. You see, the first thing that we have to be thankful for is the position that we have. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I want to look there for just a second. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the, what does it say there? Sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. As children of God, there's a few things we have. You notice there, you see there, it says we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The first thing I think that we see as children that we have is we have confidence. Mephibosheth looks up. He looks around. And he's sitting at David's table. Right along with David's children. His family members. Can you imagine the confidence that he must have felt right then? I'm somebody now. I'm, 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 I'm the grandson of the first king of Israel. And I'm sitting here at the current king of Israel's table. i got some confidence now. I remember one time when I was in school. It's a long story. Uh, we, we actually had a, a skirmish, you might say, in a football game. Uh, and I was involved in it. And... Uh, Sunday evening, I got a phone call at the house. And honestly, I'm not, it's my story. I can tell it how I want to. It wasn't my fault, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, 
and my dad tells me, he said, son, you did exactly what I would have done if I'd have been in that situation, yada, yada, yada. But I get a phone call at the house. It's my football coach. He says, you need to be at school at 8 o'clock tomorrow and be in the administrator's office. I said, okay. All right, I'll be there. So I know what's going on. I'm in trouble because I've gotten a fight at a football game. <clears throat> I thought I was going to dodge it, but Sunday night I get the call. So uh, I tell my dad about it. I said, well, yeah, I guess i got to go face some music. And blah, blah, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. My dad left the house really early in the morning all my life going to work. He was always gone before I got up. And uh, I come walking down the stairs that Monday morning, and there sits my dad at the breakfast table drinking a cup of coffee, talking to my mom. I said, what are you doing, Dad? He said, what do you mean, what am I doing? We got a meeting in school this morning. Do I need to tell you how much my confidence level went up when my dad was going with me? Now think about this. You don't have to face things alone. You're not by yourself. You are a child of the creator of the entire universe. If you can't find some confidence in that, I'm not sure how to help you. Now, I'm excited about listening to Rick and Bubba this morning. And they're talking, he's talking about, uh, what's the superintendent's name, Billy Coleman? Is that right? I don't know much about that guy, but I'm pretty fired up about what he's doing. And they were talking about, I got to thinking about this guy, the way they described it, and I don't know if I've got the story right, but he had to take a leave of absence. Uh, and before it's all over with, and I don't know that this will happen, but obviously he's thinking about the possibility that you know, this thing may go south on me. It may not go well. I could lose my position. But you know what? Evidently, he's a pretty good Christian because he's not worried about that. He's got enough confidence to know that if I lose my position as superintendent of the school system and I lose my income, that I still serve a God that's able to supply all my needs. You see, we don't have to be dependent upon those type of things. We can find confidence in the fact that we are a child of God. That's certainly something to be thankful for. But not only do we find confidence in being a child of God, but if you read that verse in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where he says, Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. That's exciting, isn't it? Not only do we have confidence in being a child of God, but we have security in being a child of God. What does it say there in Romans? It says, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. I called Brother Chris this afternoon because he's obviously got some experience in adoption. And I asked him, I said, I know that in Jewish customs that if you adopted a child, you couldn't legally disown this child. I could disown my children, and I've thought about it a few times. But I... If you adopt a child, even today, Brother Chris told me that legally, if you adopt a child, you cannot disown them. We've been adopted. He told Mephibosheth, you can eat bread at my table continually. That means it's not going to end. Now, I don't know if you check the sign before you come in here, but it says Baptist out there, and we are one of those once saved, always saved churches. Preacher told a story just recently about his dad. Somebody said, that's one of them once saved, always saved churches. He said, no, we're not. Then he went and found out they were, and he had to go back and fix it. But we are one of those churches because here's why. I did nothing to merit my salvation. Therefore, I can do nothing to keep my salvation. It's all 
predicated upon the work that Christ did on Calvary. The only thing that I can do is put my trust in that. And as a result of that, I'm adopted into the family of God. And I can sit at the table continually. Now, there's two things about adoption. One is the fact that you can't be disowned. The other thing I like is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that ye believed. Now, let's stop right there. What did he just describe? He just described salvation. I heard the gospel. I put my trust in it. I believed. And here's the result. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, where was I at? Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Let's stop right there. I've been adopted into the family of God. The day that I got saved, the day that I put my trust in Christ, I got adopted into God's family. And not only did I get adopted into God's family, but he went ahead and gave me a portion of my inheritance right then. Earnest money when you purchase a home is a partial payment on that. God gave me a partial payment of my inheritance in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he put that seal upon me so that when the devil comes by and he looks at me, he sees that seal of the Holy Spirit and he knows who I belong to. He can't kick me out. He can't disown me. He says that I will be sitting at his table continually. It's not based upon what I do. It's based upon what he did. How do I know that? The rest of this verse right here. It says right here, which is the earnest of our inheritance. When? Listen to this. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. When does that redemption take place? At the rapture. At his appearing in the sky. That's when that redemption takes place. So, my salvation, my sonship, my by adoption into the family of God, I can have confidence in it because I'm a child of God. I can have security in it because I know it's going to be continually. I don't have to worry about being saved one day, be lost one day, not sure whether I am or not the next day. I can be thankful about the fact that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. If you can't be thankful about that, I'm not sure how to help you. Not only can we be We are as children of God because of the position that we hold as children of God. Do we have confidence? Do we have security? But we also have purpose. You read that in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. It says, And if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him. Now, in that story about Mephibosheth, he says that I get, he says that he gave him all that pertaineth to Saul. Boy, you think about everything that, that Mephibosheth went through. The horrible life that he lived. We'll talk about that some more in a second. I don't want to kill my illustration later, but Mephibosheth come up really rough. Crippled, handicapped, struggling, barely getting by, in exile. Fearing for his life. But he ended up getting everything that pertained to Saul. You know what? There's purpose in our suffering. First of all, for conformity. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, All things work together for good to them that love him, that are called according to his purpose, who being predestined so that we would be conformed, what? To the image of his son. The reason that we go through the difficult times, the reason that we go through those hard times, the reason that we face the suffering that we face is so that God can make us more like his son. There's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. Now, because I am a child of God, because of the position that I hold in Christ, I can look at my suffering and I can thank God for it. I can be thankful for the difficult times that I go through because I know that when I get to the other side, I can look back and say, man, look what God did for me. Let me tell you a great, great illustration. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story. They go before the king. He says, look here, we'll give you guys one more chance. When you hear that music, you better bow down to that, that idol, that big thing, that big statue that looks like me. So what happens? Play the music. They don't bow down. They come before the king. And he says, I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace. They said, look here, king, check this out. We don't even have to think about this. If you want to throw us in that fiery furnace, you go right ahead. We're not going to bow down to you because God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not bowing down to you. So guess what happens? They bound them up, chunked them in the furnace. What happens? King looks in there. Who do you see in that furnace with him? See the fourth person. Who was that? Is the image of the Son of God. Where'd they have to go to get close to the Son of God? They had to get in that fire. Sometimes you can't get close to God unless you get in the fire. You can't see what He can do with your life. The conformity, the way He's going to shape you and mold you and make you what you're going to be. You have to go through that fire to be able to get to where He's got you. The things He's got for you. So, the first reason is that we go through the sufferings for conformity. The second reason, James chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that those that endure will receive the crown of life. You go through these hard times, you go through these difficult times. I think actually that that, that verse and that passage is, is, is specifically written to tribulation saints, but I believe that there's a certain amount of endurance that we go through now. And I think that we can receive that crown as well. If we endure and we, we, we stay tough and we stay loyal to God, there will be rewards for the suffering that we face. So there's a reason, there's a purpose for this suffering. Even in my suffering, I can find a way to be thankful. What does it say there in Colossians? Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The first reason that I have to be thankful this evening is because of my position. You know what we are? We are children of God. And man, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the fact that I can feel secure in having a, the creator of the universe as my heavenly father. I can feel confidence in the fact that it doesn't matter what happens. It's not based upon me. I may make some mistakes, I may have some failures, and I have had, but you know what? It's not based upon me, it's based upon Him. I can be thankful because there's some purpose in my suffering. The things that I go through, I go through with the Lord. He suffered, He suffered for a purpose. I suffer, that I suffer for a purpose. So that I can be more like Him. So I can receive these crowns. So, not only do we 
look at the position that we hold. But back to this Mephibosheth story. I want you to think about something. Lodabar is a place that the word actually means no pasture. Now you start to picture where Mephibosheth lives. He's not really a, he has, you understand exile. He's running for his life because he thinks that if David has any inclination that he wants to get the throne because he's Saul's grandson, that then he'll just kill him. So Mephibosheth lives in fear all of his life, living in this squalid third world slum of Lodabar. Nothing but crooks and villains and, and, and thugs and just the worst part of society you can imagine. And here's this little cripple kid living amongst them, just scraping by, trying to get by. And I can just imagine that he's told them that he's King Saul's grandson. And you can imagine the mockery and the laughter and the cackling. Yeah, here comes the old king. Here comes the prince as they kick his crutch out from underneath him. One day in Lodabar, right up through the main part of it, comes riding the king's army. His personal guard. Can you imagine? You can hear those horses and that gear and that tack banging and rattling. These guys in armor. Some captain slides off of his horse, walks up. I'm looking for a little guy named Mephibosheth. Anybody seen him? They give him directions to him. Hey, king wants to see you. The king's called for you. They take little Mephibosheth, little crippled boy, and put him up in the carriage. They ride him out of Lodabar, headed towards the palace. Can you imagine that? What, a, what an event that must have been in his life. Can you imagine the vindication that he must have felt as he rode out of town in that carriage? Yeah, you see where I'm riding? I'm going to the palace. King wants to see me. We have a reason to be thankful tonight. Not only because of our position, but if you read there in Colossians Verse 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the powers of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Not only do we have a reason to be thankful because of our position, but because of our proximity. You see, when you look at where we were prior to God saving us, and when you look at where we are now, and you can't find a reason to be thankful, guess what? I can't help you. You think about the proximity where little Mephibosheth was in that squalid third world slum of Lodabar. And the day that that group of soldiers rode in and loaded him up and carried him out of there and took him to the palace. What a great day that was. Mephibosheth, the king has called for you. Let me ask you this. Do you remember the day that the king called for you? You see, because it doesn't matter where you're at. If you, well, let's go back to Romans. If you go to Romans chapter 1, and you look at that verse, first chapter there, you look at the way Paul describes that, that horrible, horrible society. Just hedonistic. If I could draw you a picture, I would draw up here a picture of a big boat. I wish I could put it up on that screen. On the back of the boat would be a guy... He's drinking whiskey and smoking whatever he's smoking. 
got girls with him, and they're partying and living it up on the back of the boat, having a big time. Well, up on the front of the boat, there's a guy sitting. He's got his life jacket on. He's sitting down in his seat where he's supposed to be sitting. He's got his hands and arms and feet inside the moving vehicle. And all he can do is sit up on the front of that boat and talk about that guy on the back of the boat. I want you to look at those people back there on the back of the boat, how they're acting, what they're doing. They don't have their life jackets on. They're drinking alcoholic beverages on the ship. They're smoking cigarettes and listening to rap music. Look at them back there. They need to be following the rules like I'm doing. That's chapter 2 in Romans. And you keep going. There's a guy, if I could draw this picture, at the middle of the boat. He's got on a sailor's uniform. He's got on a hat. He's even got a book. A sailing manual. Tells him how to sail. He's driving the boat. But you know what? You know what it says in Romans chapter Romans chapter 3 and verse 9? It says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Do you know what those people in that boat, this imaginary boat up here, do you know what they all have in common? They're all in the same boat. Doesn't matter whether you're on the front of the boat following all the rules, sitting on the back of the boat partying it up, or if you're the religious guy that comes to church every Sunday and you're driving the boat. Doesn't matter because on the side of that boat or on the back of it, it says condemnation because you're all in the same boat. You see, here's the thing. We think we're pretty good folks because we're from the deep south and we love fried chicken and we go to church and Papa was a preacher and yet you're still in the boat. You're in the boat. And prior to that call from the king, before the king sent his man in the form of the Holy Spirit to come and tap on your door and say, hey, the king wants to see you and you realize that I'm lost without Christ, you were in condemnation. You were on your way to hell. You were lost and undone. You were on the losing side. Once I drifted out in sin, had no hope, no joy within. What did he do? He placed me on the winning side. It's because of the, not only do I have a position to be thankful for, but I have a proximity to be thankful for. What I review where I was at before salvation, what I was headed to, what I had to look forward to, which was no hope. And I look at what I have now, I have a lot to be thankful for. I'm in Christ now. What a great thing that is. The proximity. No longer am I in darkness, now I'm in light. No longer do I serve the God of this world, but I serve the God of the universe that created this world. It's a wonderful thing to be in the place that we're in. Not only do we have a position to be thankful for, and that's the position of sons, children of God. Not only do we have a, a proximity to be thankful for and where we're at, but let me tell you this. I want you to think about this you to picture something in your mind. If we took all the currency in the world, starting with change, every penny, every peso, every dollar, every yen, 
every $5 bill, every $10 bill, every $100 bill. We stacked all of them up in one big pile. Can you imagine how big a pile that would be? And we took all the precious jewels, every diamond that is on the entire planet, we put it up in one big pile. Every ruby, all of this wealth, we stacked it all up. The deed to every expensive piece of property, every Fifth Avenue penthouse, we put it all in one big pile. Every, every seaside villa, every mansion that's on this planet, we put the deed to all of that. Everything that represents wealth, we put it in one big pile. Guess what? That would not buy one soul out of hell. Not one. So what do we have to be thankful for tonight? Not only do we have the position that we're in to be thankful for, and that is the sons of God, do we have the proximity to be thankful for, which is where we're at now versus where we were then. But we also have our purchase to be thankful for. Verse 14, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. I don't mean the purchase that we made, but I mean the purchase that was made on our behalf. You see, Adam was created in the image of God. Now, a lot of people have this confused. I've had it confused. We believe that we were created in the image of God, but that's not true. We weren't. We were created in the image of Adam. Adam was created in the image of God. Read Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 tells us that Adam had a son in his own image, and that was Seth. Why is that? Because when Adam sinned, he passed his sin nature on to his children. Then his children passed their sin nature on to their children. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that all have sinned. We are all dying, and we all have a sin nature. The day that you were born, you were a sinner. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what the humanistic uh, psychologist, psychiatrist tells you. Man is not inherently good. We can't change the way man thinks and change society because man is bad. We are sinners. And that is the very thing that separated us from God. You know... In years past, I've shared the gospel with people, and I always want to tell them, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that's true. But I've changed. I've, I've revised my approach when I witness to somebody now. The first thing I tell them about is we serve a holy, righteous God, and our sin has offended him. And it is our sin that has separated us from God. And we cannot please Him regardless of how much we try. We in and of ourselves can never satisfy a holy God. Because we are sinners. That's what the problem is. It's that sin that separates us from God. So what's the, how do we fix that? How does that get taken care of? Only one way. Through the blood of Jesus. You see, every time that a lamb was sacrificed in the Old Testament, it was pointing towards what Jesus would someday come and do on Calvary. You see, when the path, on the Passover, when the death angel passed over, he didn't look for a carcass in the backyard. 
You understand that? He didn't look for a dead lamb in the backyard. No, he flew over and looked for the blood to be applied to the doorpost because it's that blood that redeems us. It's the blood of Christ that reconciles us back to God, that pays a sin debt that we could never pay ourselves. There's nothing I could do to ever get myself right with God. I could never turn over a new leaf. I could never muster up enough goodness because I'm inherently bad. I am a sinner. But Jesus paid my sin debt for me. He took my place. He paid a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid a debt I could not pay. That's something to be thankful for. Let me tell you something this evening. When I think about what Jesus, or what God did for us, I'm going to tell you a story if I could possibly get through this story. We got Ashley. She's got a cousin named Kelsey. And they're older. They're two years older than the rest of the bunch. So for some reason, the moms took the girls to school on their first day. I missed out on that. Didn't think anything about it. A couple years later, it rolls around. It's time to take my son to school. Well, they were going to school close to the house, and it was on my way to work, and my wife sucker punched me, and I'm still mad at her about it. She said, you want to take the kids to school on the first day? I said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Well, we get to school, and Ashley, she shoots off, takes off, goes to class. She's a big shot. She's a second grader. Okay, we'll see, Ashley. I'm gone. She wouldn't worry about nothing. I remember, I can still see it in my mind like it was yesterday at Vinemont Elementary School. I'm walking down through there and I'm holding my little buddy's hand. He's got a fl- fresh little flat top. It's squared off. And he's all swelled up and bowed up. He was the bowed upest little guy you've ever seen. He was all swelled up like he was bad, like he was somebody. He was going to school on his first day. He's walking down through there. His little backpack was bigger than he was. All right? I'm walking down through there and I'm holding his hand up. That's my little buddy right there, man. We're going to school. We get to class. It still hasn't hit me yet. We get to class. I help him find his little seat. He puts his backpack over on the hook, and he sits down in the chair. And I said, all right, buddy. I'll see you later. He looks up at me, this real nervous look on his face. Like, are you really going to leave me, Dad? I start easing back, slipping out of the classroom. I turn around, I go to walk out, and I stopped, and I made a bad mistake. I looked back, and he was looking at me. I just had to turn my back and walk out. I put my sunglasses on. I start walking real fast. I put my head down, and I'm crying. I get to my truck, man. I just break down. I'm just weeping. I can't believe. I'm trying to decide am I going to go back and get him. There's no way I'm leaving him there. I don't know who that woman is. He might not get his snack when he wants it. Let me tell you something. All I did was turn my back on him in kindergarten where he was supposed to be. God turned his back on his son as he hung on a cross dying to pay for our sins. And we can't find a reason to be thankful. How can we not be thankful when we think of what God has done for us? Our position in God's family. What a great position that is to be a son. To be a child of God. Our proximity 
now versus the things that we face prior to salvation. The certain condemnation, the darkness of our life prior to salvation, how much God has done for us. How could we not be thankful? When we think about the purchase made for us through Christ's sacrifice, and I'll tell you exactly why it is that we as common as Christian people are not thankful. It's very simple. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Here it is in a nutshell. We've taken God down from his rightful place. We've made simple things okay. We've let things creep in and become okay that used to didn't be okay. Back when we had God up on a pedestal and we held a holy, perfect, righteous God in his rightful position. We wouldn't do the things that we do now. We wouldn't allow the things to come before our eyes that we allow to come before our eyes now. We wouldn't make the concessions that we make in society today if we still had God where he belonged. But it's real simple. We've broken the greatest and first commandment. And that is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. He just doesn't have the same place that he used to have. And that's why we're not thankful. When God's in his rightful position, then everything becomes clear. I can see what a great God he is. When God's where he belongs, I see how good he's been to me. How fortunate that I am to have a God that loves me and cares for me. And hey, in spite of all, he knows my frame. He knows that I'm dust. I understand that we're human beings and we make mistakes, but the problem is we keep wanting to pull him down here to our level. If we place God back in his rightful position, we'll have no problem with thankfulness. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know about you, but as I studied this, I don't know that I was able to convey it the way it hit me as I studied it, but I'm going to tell you right now that tonight I need to put God back where he belongs. I need to be more thankful for the basic, simple things that God has done for me. Let's decide tonight, on this Wednesday night, that we're going to go forward for God. We're going to put him back where he belongs. We're going to put him in the position that he is worthy of being, and that is a holy, righteous God. And we're going to hold him there. We're going to honor him there. And we're going to be thankful for the things that he's done for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for your blessings, Lord. I thank you for Temple Baptist Church, for this wonderful congregation, for people who love you enough to come on Wednesday night. And then on top of that, Lord, they come on Wednesday night even when the preacher's out of town. Lord, I pray that you bless each one of them. Bless each home that's represented here. Bless the ones that are in the rock tonight, the teens, the children that are at their, in their uh, various camps. Lord, I pray that you would just... Work in our church and continue to work in this ministry. Keep our preacher safe as he travels and bless him as he's in this revival. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before you're dismissed, Brother Buchanan has an announcement. Yes, how many all think that Brother Jeff?